good evening. You're listening to the Yena podcast. This is uh, September the 6th, and joining me tonight, we have Bronwyn. Hello. And Mark. Hey. And our special guest, Lisa, ex member Lisa. Hi. How are we all doing tonight? I think um, uh, Mark injured himself again. <laughs> again? When did I last injure myself? Well, I, I, I consider COVID an injury, so. Uh... Oh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, yeah, I've pulled a muscle in my back and honestly, do I go to a chiropractor? Do I get some acupuncture? Shiatsu? I think Reiki, maybe I'd like some Reiki, but I don't want to pay for it. So I'm just going to have to suffer the pain. Do you have an interesting story as to how you came to injure your back? I I have no idea. It just started hurting yesterday and it's still hurting today. It's not going away. Um, No, sorry. Symptoms of old age then. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. So I will have to say, um, Mark, uh, taking out his back has hampered our plans to go to Hamilton to check out the uh, Mormon temple. Um, it's been closed since about 2019 for renovations, and this is the first time it's going to be open for public to go around and have a little nosy in 64 years, isn't it, Mark? Yeah. So when I think it was for, or just before it was first consecrated, I think they opened it for a day. I think the normal is a day that they open it for the public. Um, but it sounds like at the moment it's three weeks it's open for. So if you are in the Hamilton area, um, it looks like it's just going to be this amazing spectacle of gold and white and ostentatiousness that I'm really looking forward to and pretty much a once in a lifetime opportunity. So, yeah. So as you say, with my back, I'm not sure I can drive this week to go up and see it. So we might be postponing till next week, but I'm definitely keen to drive the six hours from Wellington just to see a temple for an hour or two and then drive six hours back again. Yeah. 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 It's going to be a whole, a whole day, one in and out road trip to go see a bunch of Mormons. Bronwyn, it's it's a whole day with me in a car. Can you actually handle that? Have you thought about the consequences? So I, I, can, I sleep really well, so uh, <laughs> I, think, I think we'll be fine. I think our friendship will um, come out of this intact. Mm. So are there no other Mormon temples in New Zealand? No, there are. I mean, there's Church of Latter-day Saints, but I think this is a proper, like almost a mere tabernacle, and it's one of the oldest in um, the, South, the South Pacific. Oh, Churches, yes. Temple, I'm not sure. This might be the only temple they've got here. So it's a pretty important building, um, you know, for New Zealand and for and within Mormon history. And I think it's one of the few that have a um, a full celestial room and a full a particular mural. So um, there's some very interesting things that we'll get to see when we get to visit. Hmm. Okay. Sounds sounds quite interesting. <sighs> well, I might have to check my schedule and see whether I can join you. But uh... oh. Oh, oh! actually, just looking online, they are building an Auckland temple, which is estimated to be completed early 2024. So when that opens and before it's closed to the public, we will definitely uh, try to come up for that one, I think, as well. Okay. Uh, It makes me wonder with this temple being built, I mean, who are they bringing in for their workforce? Because these are very, very long projects. I mean, the renovations at Hamilton, as I said, you know, was it from 2018 so you're looking at nearly four years and um a big part of um the mormon faith is that sometimes your missionary work can include um rent you know working construction and i found when i was working in infrastructure and recruitment um you know hot getting hammer hands for building sites we would get a lot of these um young pacifica men um tongan samoan and on their rent and on their cvs it'd be like yep i spent some time in uh, salt lake city so I think a lot of those um, a lot of those projects can is part of their mission work. Interesting. Okay. So I, I guess it's probably easy to do from overseas as well, because, you know, being religious, you, you don't need to prove much in order to bring people in. I think like Scientology did when they opened their ideal org and they needed is it something like 250 staff members. Um, and so they just shipped a bunch of people in from overseas with, you know, pretty flimsy reasoning for why they were needed. Um, and the government doesn't bat an eyelid. They're absolutely fine that these uh, these people come from overseas to join this cult just to pad the numbers so that David Miscavige is happy when it all looks busy on opening day. 
Well, yes, I, I just looked up the, the Hamilton one online. So, yeah, it's open to the public until the 17th of September. Yeah. So, yeah, three weeks. And, yes, it certainly looks like an impressive building. Yeah, so, really looking forward to it. Hmm. I saw the picture of the one they're building in Auckland, which looks almost as good. Yes. All right. Well, that uh, that does sounds like sound like fun for a very particular type of person, <laughs> <laughs> which is I'm us. Fascinated by this. Do you think you'll be converted? No. No. Absolutely not. Not for me. Maybe. Uh, you I know, mean, you know. I, I don't like wearing a uniform at work, and I work in a hospital. I can't imagine, you know, wearing the white gear and the special underwear. And <gasps> that reminds me, I have Mormon underwear. I should wear it when I go there. <laughs> right, right. Um, we'll be driving down from Hamilton with the windows open. Probably going to be very, very dank. Yeah, the underwear is not small. I only have the bottoms. I don't have the top. When uh, my ex-Jehovah's Witness friend Aaron bought it for me for one of my birthday presents, uh, he didn't realize that there was a top and bottom, so he just ordered me the bottoms. This is the same guy that's bought me a um, a gift certificate for a colonic irrigation. So, honestly, he has a lot to answer for. <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, having a discussion and a, um, a talk about what you discover. Yeah, that should be in a few weeks' time. Probably uh, yes. the next podcast episode, by by the looks of it. Well, I think you should try and capture some audio there, so that we can play that on the podcast. That would be good. Uh, of what Bronwyn and I eating Sour Patch Kids while driving to Hamilton, <laughs> listening to obscure uh, podcasts about magic and uh, adult materials. No, you you might be able to when you walk into the building. They might have some. A Mormon choir singing or something like that. So you could catch some atmospherics. And I don't know if they would, because it sounds like the whole idea about having this open day is like, you know, the last moments of this church not being Mormon. And then as soon as that consecration or dedication is done, then you get the choir, but no one else gets to hear it. Right. See, I was I was just looking forward to the building. And now if I don't get a choir, I'm going to be disappointed. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, well, let's get on with uh, some other topics. So um, so this week I uh, looked into a, a thing called um, the World Transformation Movement, um, which is an ad that's been popping up on my social media for, for quite some time, and I finally got it around actually having a look at what it is and actually suffering through the the uh, video that accompanies it and it's um it's kind of weird really it's when they advertise it on social media it's billed as an interview with this australian biologist uh and and the way it's billed is that watch the interview that solves the human condition and saves the world which is um, pretty pretty amazing and pretty an amazing claim so there's this interview by a very minor actor uh, who I'd never heard of um, by the name of Craig Conway. He's a UK actor. I looked him up on uh, IMDb and uh, all of the all of the films that he's been in. I, I don't believe I watched any of them, so perhaps that's why I don't know him. But uh, have any of you heard of uh, Craig Conway? Not off the top of my head. No, and I didn't click your link. I'm just, I've clicked it now. And yeah, I don't recognize. Oh, Ted Lasso. I've, I've watched some of that, but I'm guessing he wasn't oh. a major part in that. Oh, I, I, I obviously missed that one. I didn't, didn't see that he'd been in that. I mean, I have watched Ted Lasso. So, uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. I'll have to. Yeah, it's bit parts. Wire in the Blood. My wife has watched that one. It's, um, I, didn't really like it but yeah it looks like he's got a small part in one episode yeah i mean it's a long list on imdb but yeah you're right i think this is a minor character that he was interviewed by yes but anyway he seems to now be doing uh radio programs and podcasts uh in uh, on a station called radio northumberland um and uh, my my uk geography is pretty lacking but mark no doubt you can tell us where the northumberland is North? I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> well, I could have guessed that. <laughs> might be, might not be. It might just be north of Southumberland. I don't. No, I, I, I honestly have no idea. Uh, I think oh, it's okay. somewhere in the northern half of England. Beyond that, I, I can't help you. Uh, very good. Okay. Well, uh, fairly, uh, fairly uh, unimportant, I guess. Um, so yeah. So he's running this uh, interview, and <laughs> the the ad talks up the interview. It says the most important interview of all time. Um, so I sat through it. It's an hour long, and it's not enlightening at all. It um, having read about this for several hours, the only conclusion I can come out of it is that this this there's this guy uh, Jeremy Griffin in, in Australia who's a biologist, and he seems to have he thinks he's come up with this solution to the human condition. And and I'm still puzzled exactly what the human condition is. Um, fr- from what I can tell, he he seems to think it's the it's the conflict between our thoughts and our genetic predispositions and insect, instincts. Um, and he has some solution for this, but he doesn't seem to actually indicate what it is. And this feels very much very much like a cult. So he's he's written these books that you can actually download for free, but you can also buy them from Amazon. So um, I'm a little puzzled as to how he makes money uh, out of it. Um, but it it's kind of feels like he's he's running this cult, but he's not. I'm not sure what his actual motivation is, apart from sort of um, his own self-aggrandizement, I guess. Yeah. So there's these. There's these centers that he claims to have all around the world, which um, sound like they're physical locations, but they're actually just sort of um, groups of people meeting online to discuss um, these concepts. But they don't, there doesn't seem to be any actual solutions that, um, that you can apply that actually figures out your life and gives you this freedom that he's claiming. It's all, it sounds fairly dodgy, really. Yeah. I mean, as I read your article, it, it just feels like, you know, not even a full-blown cult yet. It feels like it's a cult in the making, like we're witnessing a cult slowly unfolding. And, I mean, you've just got to hope that with this one that, you know, there's going to be nothing too nefarious. The fact that they're spread around the world hopefully means there's less chance for abuse to be going on. Um <sighs> But it's always horrible to see these things where you see people falling down these little rabbit holes of just, I don't know, I, I, I guess some people have a personality type where they just kind of fall from one idea to the other. They're constantly wanting to believe something. Um, and yeah, I mean, looking at the, the Wellington site, as you say, there are, there are kind of groups all around the world. The Wellington site looks like there's just two people and they seem to be a couple. It seems to be, you know, this this is it. And yet they set up as if they're running a center, but it, it's just two of them. But if they are actually running events, Bronwyn, I'm I'm guessing you're going to be keen to uh, join me and, and go and join them. Yeah, yeah. I'm always up for the beer after the event, more so than the event itself. So, you know, count me in. <laughs> well, it certainly would be good to actually talk to somebody in person and find out what they think they're all about. Yeah, okay. that might be nice, actually. But Craig, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you, if I read your article correctly, you said that um, that interview was done in 2020, so pretty early into the quarantine. Hmm. So, like, you know, okay, so you're getting all these ads for it sort of now. Um, I'm just wondering, is there any recent activity on the website or is it all sort of a couple of years old and somebody's using some sort of their money in really weird ways to get it pushed? Yeah, well, I think from memory, I've been seeing this ad for probably close to a year mm-hmm. and given the time that I have available, I'll just go around just doing something about it. But um, from looking at the, it seems like the interview was recorded fairly early in the pandemic, but then republished on YouTube sort of in the middle of last year. So I wonder if they're just doing that in order to put new content out and try and get more subscribers, I guess. Um, it might be. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking with a lot of this um, advertising stuff online, if you're advertising a niche product or service that nobody else is, it tends to be quite cheap to advertise. Like, you know, Google ads, if 
if it's a crowded marketplace where everybody's vying for ads, the price goes up. But presumably advertising your cult on Facebook, maybe there's not a lot of that. And ad impressions are really cheap. Maybe, you know, five dollars per thousand or ten thousand impressions, maybe. <laughs> yes. I, I wonder why I was targeted. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, can you can you step back, um, walk us back to um, what you were doing online when these ads started coming out? <laughs> yeah, because I don't see these, Craig. I mean, how how are you seen by Facebook as being somebody well, likely to be susceptible to this? Because I mean, no, no. I know when I when I was doing my sort of witchcraft research for some articles, as well as doing my multi level marketing, all of a sudden I get ads for a witch class, a witchcraft MLM. <laughs> I get some we'll just check. marketing for Facebook. So Lisa, you have, have, have you received any adverts for the human condition on Facebook? I, was like, I haven't, but you can click on the ad and actually see why you were targeted as well. So you can actually yeah, come up with so, the, the, like, the oh. why behind it. Yeah. So sometimes you fit like an age group or like an area. They'll target like New Zealand or like a certain age group or they'll target if you're female or male or yeah. Okay. So did you do that? Up. Okay, so this is on Twitter, not on Facebook. Right. Oh, okay. So, uh, I'm not sure you can do exactly the same thing on Twitter, but perhaps you can. Um, Please write and let us know. Well, oh, well, well this, yes, I will. If I see this it again, explains. See. Yeah, this explains why I'm not being spammed with it, because I'm not really on Twitter, so uh, I'm safe from that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will keep an eye out for it again, um, and it may actually be... A couple of months since I original since I last saw it, but uh, I'd been meaning to get around to looking into it and and uh, exploring it a little bit further to see what it was about. Um, but it does sort of have some religious undertones to it, um, and uh, some some of the uh, the critique of it I saw online was pointing out a lot of the similarities in terms of the that they use um, a lot of language is very similar to christianity like they talk about um a, a garden of eden kind of state that apparently uh two million years ago humans existed in this tranquil environment and we were all peaceful and and then uh, and then our intellect came to the fore and we all started becoming capitalists and and fighting and <laughs> and so on anyway uh, but yeah, if if I do get the opportunity to be advertised again, I will see if I can figure out why it was targeting me. But in the meantime, Mark, I think I see a little bit of merchandise that might rival your Mormon underwear. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Griffith for president. He makes his own T-shirts. Oh, <laughs> it's like a nice iron on transfer with um, the, you know, um, topography that's similar to the Simpsons. Oh, yes. And that that font is not Comic Sans, but it's just as bad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, you won't expect, be surprised expect, to learn. Expect that in your secret Sagan Christmas, Christmas parcel. <laughs> Yay. And, uh, I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn that he is uh, an old white man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not, not surprised at all. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, so, yes, we'll, we'll uh, keep an eye out for that. And if you two can go to some event in Wellington mm. and explore it further, that would be very interesting. I'm yeah, sure the website, the people there. The website doesn't have events on, so maybe if we contact them, they'll organize an event especially for us. That would be nice. <laughs> so you said we're going to boost our um, ratings of the podcast by having a salacious topic. So <laughs> tell us all about um, Hydem. Yeah, no, this is sort of based on the, um, the, the the series of articles I wrote a few weeks ago about this beautiful estate in the Manawatu, maybe about a half an hour or so's drive out of Palmerston North. Hang on, hang on. Hey, can you pronounce that again? <laughs> what, the Manawatu? <laughs> Are you guys making fun of my pronunciation? I am not from here. <laughs> Neither am I, I and I find that funny. <laughs> Manawatu. And even then, that's probably not very good, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. this is kind of a blind leading the blind situation. I'm very sorry to our Maori listeners. I'm always improving my pronunciation. I really don't get why two white guys are trying to like get one up on me. <laughs> All right, carry on. Interrupt me, <clears throat> my God. <laughs> Anyways, uh, back on topic. Um, so this lovely, this lovely estate, um, I've actually spent a night or two there back when it was a, a normal accommodation. Um, owned by an, uh, a New Zealand and American 
a joint New Zealand American couple. And even then they're sort of talking about the history of this place. You know, there's sort of a weird esoteric boarding school um, that was on the site for a time. And they had left these mandala stones around. Um, I think sometime before, after I was there, they were sort of the people who had owned it were scammed by the, this Buddhist movement. Um, it's a place with a really crazy history, but um, yeah, what I want to talk about a little bit was the International School of the Temple Arts, which is sort of this sex therapy slash magic school, Hogwarts for adults, maybe. Um, it tries to, you know, un un unlock your potential in the spheres of intimacy. Um, part of it is run by an American named Baba Dez. Um, he made his money in, what? He made his money selling a business that did um, health supplements and then decided, you know, want to live the life of a free spirit. <clears throat> so sort of open up his property for rental to massage therapists and sex therapists. And it just went on from there. Um, but somehow- so that was Sorry, that was a property in Sedona, right? So like yeah. hippie central in America, basically. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, you couldn't think of a better place for, um, you know, sort of a sex retreat to be blunt. And I want to go and I want to say, on the, you know, right off the bat, we're not here to yuck anyone's yum, not here to judge what consenting adults do in their bedroom. That's absolutely your business. Um, however, we, I think maybe as an organization, certainly me as an individual, have a lot of issues with um, people going into, you know, sex therapy, not being well informed to deal with how people have lots of trauma around intimacy um, and around sex um, and how people can be manipulated in these really intense emotional situations. A lot of these seminars are group seminars and there's a lot of pressure to participate. Um, there's claims that you can not participate in some of the activities, um, but some people just don't feel that. And it can feel okay in the moment, but as time goes on after the seminar and people start to deconstruct what's happening, a lot of people find that they're really traumatized. They felt pressured to do things. Um, and of course, sexual assaults do happen. And there has been quite a few cases of facilitators involved with this International School of Temple Arts or what we'll call ISTA, um, you know, raping and sexually assaulting people. And I say that with a caveat that none of these people have, none of these facilitators who have been accused of these crimes have actually been charged, arrested, and gone through a day in court. So a lot of these, I should say, are alleged alleged assaults. So Bronwyn, the the other day you challenged me to watch a a documentary about Baba Dez, um, yes. <laughs> and it was fascinating. Um, I mean, in one way, it was a train wreck, right? So like Babadez is like a, a sad, sad man. Um, he is he's obviously uncle. got. He, he is the uncle who never got. Well, maybe he had a long term girlfriend that all of his family liked, but then he broke up with her and decided to just go off the rails, you know, always dating younger girls, you know, living the living the young man bachelor lifestyle at the age of 50 and 60. So he, he's done him. this and obviously, ob obviously his big shtick is how, you know, he's fine with sex and he's he's free and everything's OK until he meets this one girl who doesn't want him, at which point she absolutely crushes him right the way through the movie that suddenly he's the one that wants to be in a relationship with just one person for it to be exclusive and it's not happening. Um, so I, I'd recommend watching this as kind of, it, it just shows you that for all their highfalutin ideas about how they're more evolved and you know these people who are in touch with their spiritual side and everything that they're living better lives it's it's just as mean and petty as everybody else's lives but i think coming back to the point you made about the alleged assaults bromwyn yeah. there was that really telling point halfway through the documentary where there's something of an intervention where a couple of other sex therapists sit Baba Des down to talk to him about accusations and well, well, no, watching him more, deflect it's, every it's single than, one of them. Right. It's worse than that, because in this scene, I think it's sometime after this girlfriend, Maya, leaves him. Um, and you have these little intercuts, interstitial points where other therapists are commenting on, you know, what Baba Des does. And they're hinting towards, you know, men really shouldn't be in this sex, sex healing sphere. You shouldn't use your dick. In, when you're working with um, people who are having, you know, intimacy, intimacy, intimacy issues. Um, and then 
we have a particular um, person, I think, named Jaya. She makes a very explicit accusation. And then we cut to a scene where it's Jaya, Baba Dez, and this mediator who are talking about this at the insistence of Baba Dez. And that whole conversation that they have where he's trying to say, oh, I didn't quite understand or, you know, trying to, you know, justify. And as you say, Mark, deflect. It, it is one of the most uncomfortable scenes um, that I've ever seen found film. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it, it was. And just just seeing him like never accept anything right like whenever there was an accusation it's like you know sometimes you you've got to make sure you don't do this or maybe i need to do more of that and uh, it was always that he was innocent that he hadn't done anything wrong and so in light of like a lot of these sort of um this greater awareness of what ista does um and some of these controversies that have risen there's a lot of talk within that sphere and it also sort of seeps into new zealand's spiritual gatherings and workshops and festivals about, you know, exactly how much therapy you need to have gone through before you actually go to witness to training. What are your real expectations? Are you, you know, the problem of being a victim, you know, how you things happen to you because you let them happen. So if you don't, if there's no such thing as victims, there's actually no such thing as perpetrators. It's an absolutely messed up system and you know there's a lot again a lot of deflecting about who is actually responsible and how much responsible facilitators need to take when dealing with people who maybe have more trauma or more hang-ups than they actually inspect of themselves and i guess this is something we see with you know other types of people like from when you and i have had a a talk with a um a wizard before a female wizard in wellington who does tarot and to her she you know she really enjoys tarot because she considers herself to be something of a therapist and as i pointed out well it's actually a therapist without having to get licensed and without having a registration board and without having the oversight of actually having to do it well and i think with this sex therapy it's the same kind of thing they're acting like they're therapists but actually they can do a lot of damage because they're not properly trained and they're just they're making this stuff up as they go along. And I think that can be really dangerous. And one of the big things about ISTA when it formed was that it was it was a place that didn't have a, a full headquarters in a sense. And, you know, it was just a bunch of uh, an organism, as they like to present it, a bunch of different and disparate facilitators who kind of work together gives each other some guidance, help each other out in different workshops, and that's how it operates. Um, part of that, I think, is maybe a practical purpose. Um, Baba Dez's original Sedona location was um, subject to a raid by, uh, by the local police because there were accusations that one of the groups that he had rented out space to was actually a sex cult and trafficking, uh, which is a serious accusation. But in what has happened consequently is that because when you don't have a central headquarters, well, how are you dealing with, you know, facilitators who are not on their best behavior? How do you deal with complaints? How do you, you know, what is your disciplinary process? Hmm. So, you, so, yeah, you, they don't have those, but that's starting to change now. Now there's all these complaints and all this sort of bad publicity. They are starting to create these processes. Now, the role of Haydn, as you guys like to pronounce it, um, in this in this piece is that Haydn is currently owned by a man named Bruce Lyon. Um, at one point, he was an executive, a CEO of a, a company that sort of had control of the Bundaberg distribution in New Zealand. Hmm. Um, as I said, he had previously um, was co-owner or at least um, an agent of the property um, back in the early 2000s, where he tried to run sort of a, a much cheaper version of Hogwarts um, in New Zealand. But he, had, he was an agent of a cancer quack. I think I might have talked about this before. Um, there was a Danish doctor who um, ended up killing quite a few of his patients by giving them dandelion infusions. And the intent was to actually um, have a similar um, holistic cancer clinic outside of Palmerston North. That never came through. Eventually, this Danish doctor sold off the property. Bruce disappears for a couple of years. And in this time, he meets Baba Dez. And so Bruce has you know, this really great business acumen. And between him and Baba Dez, they create this, they gradually create all the curriculum that's part of this ISTA program. Hmm. And in return, what I think happened, I'm sort of back in about 2016, 2017, Haydn gets back on market and Bruce wants to buy it. So he, now all of a sudden he has this network of people who are quite wealthy, 
It's the courses are not cheap. They're a few thousand dollars just to go to the workshop alone. And they're worldwide. So if you wanted to go, say, to Israel, well, you, you're paying to go to Israel plus this multi, this, you know, two or three thousand dollar workshop. So here are some incredibly wealthy people who are getting what they call as shares into the property, but they're not actually share owners, they're not co-owners of the property from the way the documents look. That's how I interpret them, what's available at the moment. Um, I'm happy to be corrected on what I may, may have been misunderstanding. That people were donating thousands of dollars so that he could buy this million dollar property. And he was able to. And, you know, with the help of Abadez, with the help of Ohad Peli, who is uh, being accused of sexual assault in Israel as, as an ISTA facilitator. Mm. Um, so, how, so what, how, we'll how long has this place been running for in the apartment? As, as, as sort of in its current iteration, um, since about 2016, 2017. Oh, okay. Okay. And so, you know, but, you know, here's all these, you know, co, co-pillars, co-owners, and, you know, they'll use Haydn as a place for their workshops, or at least they right. did until the pandemic. Um, but, you know, we now have a lot of ISTA coordinators, um, surprisingly enough, in New Zealand now who are okay. off, who are offering these courses and have also gone elsewhere in the world. Um, New Zealand on air did a documentary of one such facilitator, a young woman who sort of talked about how she left Christianity and is now a sex therapist in a sense. Um, she created an app, which is kind of a uh, grinder for the new agers. <laughs> so it's something that has like a lot of, you know, it has some, you know, tendrils and branches that are sort of going worldwide. Um, but it also means that Haydn is now becoming a bit more, that name is getting out there a lot more because of, again, all these sort of issues with them. Um, hang on, hang on. Step, step back a little bit. What's the app called? Just asking Lua. for a friend. Lua, L-U-A, I believe. Lua, that, that's like a scripting language. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It's interesting the, uh, how niche you can go with these apps. I wonder if we should invent one for skeptics. Skeptics <laughs> dating app. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've thought about it. No, I, I don't think it's worth programming. I don't think I'm going to see a return on investment. All skeptics are happy in relationships or happy understanding that they can meet people without any problems because they're all amazing people. Indeed, indeed. The the, uh, the reason I asked uh, how the, how long that place has been running is that I used to live in Palmerston North yeah. um, some years ago, and uh, looking it up on the map, I I drove past it every day. You probably so, did, yes. um, but you know it had multiple iterations. I think yeah, there was right. a sort of an esoteric boarding school in the late two thousands, and you know back then he it was sort of hey we're going to teach you all magic and. Tarot cards, you okay. know, it'd be a multi-year program. Um, and all you had to pay for was, you know, shared costs of running the facility and maybe your own food. I think Bruce Lyon has met, has learned his lesson in really, you want to charge people thousands of dollars and there's people who will pay it. Yeah. In yeah. fact, well, this, this is the problem. The problem is I want to go and visit Haydn because it sounds absolutely out there they talk about there being this vortex portal thing there but at thousands of dollars for a course and you know having to get naked and have sex with people i can't turn up i want them to be running like a ten dollar reiki course that i can turn up to or something like that <laughs> well maybe we can go to the eden festival in 2023 hang out Ooh, there. what's that yeah it's happening in january i don't know what the cost is for the tickets but uh yeah that's happening up there Okay, maybe we can sneak in and I don't have to pay a dollar. Yeah. So but I think one thing that's interesting that's happening now is that um, Bruce has sort of gradually sort of stepped away from ISTA, both as a facilitator, um, but it also seems that he's sort of going back to those more that more of that like esoteric magic, um, Ash, Alice B. Bailey, theosophy, theosophy roots of his. And he's gone off and um, has set has established temples in Greece and in Finland, as part of this global magical activity or magical project that he's been formating in his head for a couple of decades now. And it'll be very interesting to see how that's all going to come out in the wash soon, because within um, certain branches of theosophy, particularly I think the, the, the sort of Alice B. Bailey stuff that he's interested in, 2025 is gonna be a big year. Um, 
I think the secret gods or the secret, hier hi secret hierarchy of gods are going to reveal themselves. So there's going to be some funny stuff happening soon. Hey, you sound like you're making a psychic prediction there. Me? <laughs> <laughs> so, no. sorry, what? When is this? 2025? 2025, yeah. Okay, so I think at that point I'm going to re reveal myself as a god to them and have them all worship me. So, yeah, no, it's just a place that's completely bonkers. <laughs> but I think there's also, you know, again, because they made this sort of level of training very widely available, you know, it's something that, what are we going to do? Um, I mean, I don't necessarily know what skeptics themselves are going to do, but I think it's something that we need to be aware of in terms of magical thinking, um, sexual assault, things that are like that, that are, mm -hmm. going, that are going out in the community. Yeah, there's definitely a dark side to it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, I think you definitely should build this app, and then all the money you make out of that you can use to put into a session to hide in the state. Well, actually, I think right. better better than an app is if people come to our skeptics in the pub meetings. That's the best way to meet skeptics. <sighs> yes, yes, you can you can meet your uh, your future husband or wife at our skeptics in the pub. I like that idea. Yeah, but well, we would definitely it, encourage people to get to know people before they start making approaches at skeptics in the pub. <laughs> Good caveat. I like it. Yes, don't be creepy. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so speaking of creepy, I understand that uh, there's been some more revelations about Arias Church. There has. Uh, so first of all, I have to thank David Ferrier and his awesome journalism that he's been doing around Arise and the whole situation that has been uh, unfolding. Uh, so the pathfinding report was uh, leaked uh, by Webworm, which is David Ferrier's uh, blog. And like I think it was 24 hours later, the uh, Employment Relations Authority officially like dropped all their stuff to make it like legal to publish it. But then it still took a good week before Arise actually like released their copy of it. Yeah, the whole thing has just been a bit of a mess. But oh, but so so Arise actually Arise did eventually publish the official version then. Ah, uh, yes, uh, they've redacted ah. a few bits of it because they think that, or they said that they um that some of the victims' identities could still be identified through the report, even though it was anonymous and um, things had already been removed by the pathfinding team. But yeah, they kind of just like removed more bits, saying it was revealing who the victims were and things. But Interesting. Um, so yeah, so ob obviously um, there's a bit of background to this, right? So when David Farrier first started reporting, there wasn't much that he was saying, but he just he kept writing more and more articles. Yeah, so he uh, there's been quite a few things um, from both his his vlog and through um, a couple of groups on Instagram who have been, who have like come out as well, uh, where victims have been able to anonymously share their stories, and in particular, he sh shared some stories about something that happened between some staff members. The victim for that was allegedly paid out. Um, I say allegedly because now Arise has come forward saying no one has been paid out. So mm. who knows what's really happened there. But yeah, there were lots of claims of bullying and harassment and sexual assault and all these crazy stories that came out. And it was just, yeah, kind of hard to understand and like work out what victims were saying and like how their stories kind of linked together and who was doing these things. Um, because yeah, a lot of the things couldn't be, they couldn't name and shame anyone because it's obviously like, maybe go before the courts and stuff. So they didn't want to like name anyone in particular, um, but also just trying to get some justice for some of the victims as well. There has been a, a case being put forward that some of the victims may be going to court at some stage, but that hasn't really come through yet of like what exactly is going to happen with that either. So so this, I, I guess this really snowballed in part because of Arise Church, right? That when David Farrier started writing, Arise Church as kind of one of the biggest evangelical churches in New Zealand actually took some good steps in saying that they were going to institute a review um, using an external organization to do this. And so they kind of they bought this on themselves. But of course, just as the review was about to be published, it got blocked. And as you said, until it was leaked, which was what, two months, I think, after the review was originally completed and until that point it was blocked by the um the employment relations authority 
And it was only because of David Farrier that it, it ended up coming out. And I mean, the report, I, I think probably we all read it like the night that it came out. In fact, we talked about it on the podcast, didn't we, at the very end? Yeah. Uh, and we all sat down and had a read. And I, presumably you did too, Lisa. Um, what, yeah, what did you think about the report? I mean, a bit of an eye opener, right? Um, I was going to say the most shocking part for me was just that the report was to like collaborate these stories and um, the stories from the victims and also just to get um, the submissions and get all the stories put together in like one place and also offer suggestions of how to uh, make things better for the future. There was no legal repercussions for it. So I say allegedly some of the sto- some of the victims are going through court cases and things like that. Um, but that is not from the report itself. Like pathfinding doesn't have any legal obligations for any of it. So things were passed to the police by them um, and they did encourage victims to go to police as well to lay their own complaints with police. But pathfinding as a group didn't actually do that themselves. They had no legal background for it. Do you think that uh, pathfinding have acted well over this and that they've done a good job? I think so, given that they also brought in experts. So I was going to say, we were talking earlier about people claiming to be therapists and things that aren't therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, Pathfinding actually did bring in professionals who are actually uh, certified and everything to work with people as well. So they, um, a lot of the submissions when they were verbal, they were uh, a phone call with counselors and other people uh, who actually trained in some of these like trauma and, um, counseling type things who could then also offer the victim some more support to say hey you know you might want to go talk to another professional about this and kind of give some more support rather than just being like cool thanks for your story and it, it felt like both the, the report was thorough they i mean they covered a lot they got a whole lot of people submitting but also their list of recommendations was huge and wide-ranging and and in some places quite surprisingly kind of thorough. Um, I I thought it was going to be something of a whitewash, but yeah, I was blown away just how many recommendations they made for like massive change at the church. Yeah. So there's 92 in total, which is a lot. Um, I wasn't expecting that, but one of the biggest recommendations is to uh, disestablish the board and um, put in some new rules around who can actually be on the board and like how that works. Um, and Arise has not followed this so far. They've not um, overthrown the board at all. Um, and they're still allowing their leaders to be on the board, which was one of the recommendations, one of the biggest recommendations, I think, um, was to remove like the leaders from the board to say that senior leadership team couldn't be part of it. It had to be completely independent. And that hasn't happened, which um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I think Ben Kendrick might be one. Is he on the board? Um, I think although- so, yeah. Graham Kirkwood has now quit. Yes, he left recently. I think there were rumours he was going to quit and the church then denied that he was going to quit and then the next thing he quit. So it was all a bit up and down for a while. But yeah, I mean, safe to say there's a lot of turmoil. But as you said, basically, you know, legally, there's no reason for them to follow this. And it seems like a rise's stance so far is this just what is just one of several reports that they've commissioned, and they're probably not going to make changes until all of the reports have come in, right? Yes. So they've also got two uh, legal reports coming in. One of them is specifically focusing on employment uh, law because of how the interns or uh, uh, what they're called now. Uh, the ministry, ministry school. school. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the ministry school students, uh, they now have like, there are different, um, they've got like a different contract now with them. Uh, so it kind of has different roles and things that they're meant to be doing. They're not meant to be working on call 24 seven or anything. It's um, a little bit more controlled, like a normal employment role. They're also having some accountants go through their books as well. There were some claims about, this was also within the path running report, about leaders asking interns to buy things like out of pocket or um, that weren't necessarily church-related expenses, but were things like paying for their lawn mowing to be done at their house or paying for a house cleaner to come to their house or things like that, um, which are not church-related expenses at all. Um Charity Services is also looking into this because it's not um, following the charity purposes of a church um, ruling. So that's probably also going to come into there as well. Hmm. So what is the situation with interns in New Zealand? Is it like, 
uh, do people have to have a, an employment contract and relationship and is it legal to have people work for free essentially <laughs> This yes. is a great question. <laughs> um, I was going to say, so we're also seeing this at the moment with the case uh, for Gloria Vale that's currently going through the courts at the moment with the women of Gloria Vale um, arguing that they are not volunteers, that they are uh, or they should be being paid um, as employers, uh, employees working for the for the overall company or community for them. And I'm guessing it's the same here is that uh, if someone is an intern, they have a similar employment kind of contract and things set up, they get paid at a certain rate or they may be volunteered, but they would uh, only do set hours per week or set times and things like that. Mm. But that's yeah. that's like theory, part it? of it. Is, yeah. is the idea that they're, they're volunteers for a religious charity is what they try to push. And I, I think uh, John Cameron, the um, still now head of Arise Church to an extent, um, he tried to argue this. He tried to argue that, you know, they're, they're not really interns. They're, they're volunteers working for a charity. And um, I think the other thing he tried to come out with was actually this is very much in line with other churches that, you know, this is what he saw going on at Hillsong. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because Hillsong are well known for mistreating their interns and and being in the news for being an awful church in Australia. And I can definitely recommend. Is it on Netflix the Hillsong documentary series? Um, I think it. I think it is think so, yeah. in some form or another. It's it's I, well worth yeah. watching. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I I don't think I found it on Netflix, but I did find it online elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded dodgy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah i mean so this is an interesting point it? it's very very blurry lines between volunteering and actually working and especially when there's some religious belief involved in that these people are showing up in the in the belief that they're doing it for the the greater good of the church and perhaps uh rewards in heaven <laughs> maybe very dodgy but, you know, it's, this sort of work, you know, it shows up in other industries as well, like in healthcare, um, nurses and midwives. We are there multiple hours, you know, three or four days working eight to 12 hour shifts um, as, a, as a student for your training. Um, hmm. But you know what? A good portion of our um, tuition is actually paying the PHB to let us be there. As much, <laughs> I think the justification is that, you know, oh, you are being trained, take away resources. You know, we, we, we are there. We are doing work. We're doing observations. Even, even though we're being supervised, it is work and we're not being paid yep. for it. Yes. There's uh, a lot of sort of structural messes in this country and worldwide, really, of abuse of, of people in labor situations where they're not being paid or, or being underpaid because of um, supposed trading opportunities or religious reasons. Whereas I would say coming from a North America context, an internship really shouldn't be year a year or so long. It really is only maybe a couple of like a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Yeah, because in the US, certainly there are some interns who essentially work for free, aren't there? Yeah, like I mean, there's there's internships where you are you work for free or you work at a you know you work less than minimum wage. But again, they aren't a long term. They are only for a couple, a month, you know, a month, maybe mm. two. Like it's a, it's a summer. It's something that you do on your summer break, or right. it's something that you're doing, you know, outside of your college job. Mm. So, getting back to the topic at hand, um, where to from now for a rise, Lisa? What's they've got a roadmap on their website? Um, what what can we expect from a rise in the next few months and years? One thing that has come up in the last uh, couple of days is that. John and Gillian Cameron have obviously, like, they resigned and they've left the church. But something that's come up is that their personal house is for sale in Altea. So we'll see if that comes into anything and if that has any link back into charity services and the, uh, the financial audit that's being done. Because there has been a bit of a question around the leaders' housing and how they were paid from the church and how that all, like, ties in as well for using, like, the church funds for personal use question Ooh, um, i wonder so there's a question there about there, the house yeah yeah will there be gawkers will anybody visit the house on an open day just to have a look at you know how the uh, the rich evangelicals live in wellington are you talking about yourself or other people mac <sighs> see now now for me i probably would have done but i i've been to one of john cameron's birthday parties um so i don't feel a need to go and see his house i've i've done my stint stint with john i think i argued with him about the existence of god over a beer um so yeah i, I don't feel a need to gawk anymore 
I was going to say, well, I have seen the photos of um, the real estate listing. It's all public. So that's all online. You can you can search up and find it. And there's a couple of pictures within the house where they've got like uh, one of those like really cheesy wall, wall decorations saying things. And it's like talking about the Camerons being certain things, about how they're loving and kind and careful, cheerful and all these things. And it turns out one of the interns made that for them. It's one of the <laughs> jobs they had to do. And it was like... Is that- is that listed as a chattel? Is that I don't know. That's house? what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Come on, Mark. You got to re- reconsider your position. You got to look at this interior decoration. Clearly, it's yeah, has been there. I just want to get in there and steal that wall, go in with the chainsaw and take it away as a souvenir. <laughs> um, I guess my question at query is then, I mean, if they're selling their house, are they planning to leave the country? And what, what, what will be their next moves? I mean, are they going to sort of hook up with another church? Are they going to start their own? Or are they always just going to be sort of quietly working in the background of a rise? Or are they going to Australia? No and- <laughs> yeah. no so do, do you have a crystal ball? Yeah. I do not have a crystal ball. I've got no idea. There could well be relatively innocent reasons for selling. I mean, it could be that um, they don't actually own the house outright. They may have a large mortgage. And now that they're actually not working for a rise, maybe they're not being uh, looked after in the manner to which they've become accustomed and uh, perhaps they're struggling to pay the mortgage. And say, so, well, they do own multiple houses throughout New Zealand as well. They they also mm-hmm. own one in Queenstown as well. So I'm expecting they'll probably just move to one of the other houses. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably be doing okay then. Yeah. Maybe they're just moving into a larger property. Maybe that, you know, now that they've left the church, uh, there's no point pretending by living in just a five bedroomed house in Aotea. Maybe they're going to try and outdo Brian Tamaki in his $8 million mansion. Well, so maybe, but their Queenstown house is smaller than their Wellington one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you have been stalking them online. I haven't been stalking them. I've just been following the Instagram uh, groups that have been doing so for, for, on my behalf. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got you to gotta outsource that work, you know, get your own exactly. intern there, uh, Lisa. So what are the Instagram groups? There was one that was like an interns comedy group, right? Uh, yeah, it- there was like a meme group, I think. And then I follow the, uh, I think it's called Arise Alum Group as well. Um, there's also a City Impact one that's jumped on board as well. Um, City Impact are also going through some similar uh, things at the moment as well with other accusations that are coming out through their church as well. Good, um, good, because I really well. don't like, yeah. was it Peter Mortlock, the head yeah. of that church? I've never liked that guy. He's always given me the creeps. All right, yep, rant so, over. Yep. Sorry. Um, well, I might have to follow something. I don't do Instagram, but maybe just to be able to keep up with the Arise gossip, I probably need to. I was say, I can send you the links later on anyway. Oh, yes, please. And we'll put them in the show notes for any other gawkers that happen to be listening. So when's the open home? Um, they're on like Sundays at like, I think it's one o'clock. Oh, uh, it's all on Trade Me. It's all listed on Trade Me, yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting because the, the open homes are listed on Sundays, but like outside of church times. So like oh, yeah. you could go to church on all the church service times and go to the open home at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I granted in New Zealand, open homes are traditionally are traditionally held on a Sunday. Well, I'm voting for Mark to go dressed up as, as Jesus. But hang on. It's not enough that I go dressed as a lobster to a Jordan no, Peterson. You've turned, that, you've turned that down now. <laughs> now I've got to go dressed as Jesus to John Cameron's open home. Maybe oh, you should wear your Mormon goodness. underwear. <laughs> Really upset the evangelicals. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to have like a wardrobe full of costumes. There's going to be nothing else that I own. Mm. Although I honestly, I do want to sort out a full Mormon kit. So I've got the bottom half of the underwear, but I like, I want to get the white shirt and the badge um, and everything else. I really want to go the whole hog on that. So if anybody can help me with that, I'm, I'm very keen to get my ensemble finished. Maybe there'll be so, a Mormon gift shop when we go to Hamilton. Oh, oh, that would be amazing if they could do me like a custom name badge. I'd love that. <laughs> or you could trade in your Mormon underwear. <laughs> no, because I'm not supposed to have that. It's well, it's indeed, only it could to- be an amnesty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want more, not less. I want more, and I've got to get the top half. I need to find somebody who smuggled a set out and is willing to sell them to me. Are we going to talk about the conference? Yes, yes. So conference, that's November 25th, 26th, and 27th um, at the Tararua Tramping Club. We are slowly confirming speakers. 
We got some really great responses from the survey that I put out, the pre-conference survey. So thank you everyone who took the time to um, tell me whether or not you wanted lunch. Um, that was great. Very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond Bronwyn's sarcasm, she she put together a little slideshow for us, and actually the the results were really insightful. I think, you know, looking at it, it's like why have we never done this for a conference before? It's actually nice to not be going at it totally blind. So uh, yeah, thanks for everybody that responded, and thank you Bronwyn for putting that together. Yeah, that was my that was my piece de resistance. A lot of our instincts about who we wanted to bring in this year, I think, were pretty spot on. I think we got our our fingers on the pulse for uh, most of our most of the people who are undecided if they're going to come to the conference. So is that who we're targeting? The people that said they are coming to the conference? We don't care who they want to speak because they're coming <laughs> they're anyway. Gonna, they're showing up wherever. <laughs> it's the undecided that we're going to be catering to. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be able to buy tickets soon, won't we? As soon as I've sorted out the website, which I was going to do last week and I never got round to. Uh, but yes, I will put together some kind of rudimentary website, but we can at least say that tickets are $99, I believe we agreed to. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. That seemed to be a price that made sense. And it's the weekend of the 26th and 27th of November yeah. in Wellington. Exactly. With a social event on the 25th. Yes. yes. And uh, Wellington Central as well. So it's just off Kent and Cambridge Terrace. So if you're looking for accommodation, anywhere close to there will work well. There's, yeah, there's a whole so range of really nice hotels, and there's a couple of backpackers that I think are still trundling along. This is like an audio website. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I will build the website. Goodness sakes. <laughs> Actually, why don't you do it, Craig? You work in IT. Yes. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'll do it. It's fine. I, don't, I do, generally don't do WordPress. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. And um, and how's our skeptics in the pub meetings in Wellington going? Popping, they're popping. People are showing uh -huh. up, and it's great to see you guys there. We're always getting a new, at least one new face showing up, and yeah, it's so. This week we have another meeting on Friday, hotel lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel. Usually we'll have some sort of a little sign up. Um, if you follow us on the Facebook page or on the Meetup page, you'll you'll know you'll know our little uh, mascot. We'll guide you. We will be. We will also be the only table with something telling people that we're skeptics, so we're quite obvious that way. And uh, imagine if a rival skeptics group set up on the other end of the pub. That would be weird. Fight. We will fight to the death. We're um, the people's popular front of skeptics. And that's at six p.m. So, and we usually go to about ten o'clock at night. So, you know, you can stay as long or as little as you want. We're not insulted if you have to dip out. Park your car or go home, take care of your kids. It's all good. Mm. Um, but then, Mark, next week you have your activism meeting. Yep. So next week we have, I don't even know what it's called now, Bronwyn. I'm so confused. Um, Science-based <laughs> science healthcare activism in the pub, maybe. Um, Fork and Brewer from 6, 6.30ish next week on Thursday in Wellington. Uh, yep. For your first complaint, you get a free beer as soon as it's submitted. So please come along. <laughs> By complaint, he means you write a complaint to the ASA, not that you just unload on Mark and Daniel about um, how unhappy you are with skeptics. Or complain about the beer. Don't complain about the beer. That will get us kicked out. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then beyond that, I think skeptics in cyberspace is probably not too far away, Bronwyn. Yeah, that would probably be the week after, wouldn't it? No, 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 because no, that, no, that'll no. be another skeptics in the pub Wellington. So the week after the week after. Yeah. That sounds about correct. Uh, uh, I guess I'm not looking at my calendar you know? at the moment, so I couldn't tell you. Sorry. Sorry. There's another podcast recording before Skeptics in Cyberspace, so you will get a, a better, more organized um, heads up before it happens. Yep, and we'll try to figure out a better way to get that link to people. Um, Facebook events is a little bit funny when the event is going on and how you can actually join us on Zoom, so we'll figure out a better way to do that. Sorry to the person who missed out last time. Oh, Al. <laughs> Sorry to Al. Yeah, Saul's Al. Shall we wind it up then? Thanks, Lisa, for coming and joining us this week. Yes, thank you, Lisa. It was good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Keep writing and you can keep on coming back. Okay, I will. Mm. All right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thank you for showing up, Mark. <laughs> what do you mean? What, what's that all about? <laughs> thank you for showing up. I'm just, I'm just saying thank you for showing up. <laughs> Don't read anything into it. <laughs> All right. I will take that at face value then. No problems, Craig, anytime. <laughs> Thank you, Bronwyn, for showing up.
I will not be insulted. I will take that as a compliment. <laughs> Very good. You have been listening to the ENR podcast. Some of the hosts are a little more prickly than normal. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you all next time. Bye. Sayonara. Bye. Bye. Bye.